Greetings and salutations. My name is Tyler Ellenick, and this is Raven's Rule, the podcast that chronicles all things 90s can rock. In this episode, I speak with Roberta Carter Harrison and Ken Harrison of Toronto, Ontario's Wild Strawberries. Talk a little bit about how you heard about the radio contest for emerging artists and how that kind of thing evolved. So the first, we, we entered it twice. I entered it when I was sort of doing my own little thing early in university um, with a song called May I Call You Beatrice, right? right yeah, yeah. Would it yeah. been like 86 or 76? 80, yeah, 86. And I think the, I was at a school, my class was pretty large. I think I had a bunch of people at school that were voting for me, so it did pretty well. Um, I don't <laughs> think that was a Wild Strawberry song, though, right? We, we ended up re-recording it later yes um, may i call you breaches is on our first little cassette is that right yeah but you right. you it, call it, it's on grace it's on grace, it's on grace okay. but i think but i think yeah i think we did it with me singing it that's right i was singing backups you were singing backups yeah right yeah and i remember um, when we went to record that at that fellow's home right. studio in north toronto he said he, he really liked it but he thought that i was a really good backup singer i should probably just stick with backups i remember him telling me that <laughs> And I had no intention yeah. of doing anything else. So that was like, cool, thank you. It's a good thing we didn't listen to him. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and then Crying Shame was our next one. Yeah. In 1990, I think. Would that have been? 89 or 90. That's why. 89, yeah. We thought two we, memories might be better than one here, Tower. Well, hey, I understand. Yeah, There's no problem there. Yeah, so we submitted that in 89, I guess it was. Yeah, and... Uh, People seemed to like it a lot, and then we started getting more and more play with other songs that we were uh, given to. Even while Although the first radio station that played us was um, was David Wisdom's CBC his night show, which was called Brave New Waves, and he like he played us before Stephen White did, and I think that gave us sort of the momentum to to play it for other people. And after was, Crying Shame was in that contest on CFNY. Is that the first song we tried to work nationally ourselves to radio, or did we go right to Life Size Marilyn Monroe? Yeah, I feel like we then went to Life Size Marilyn Monroe. I do remember we and were cold we... calling radio stations, trying yeah. to get them to play our next <clears> song. <throat> I think so. That's right. And then I think later maybe they came back to Crying Shame because I think yeah, Shame yeah. Then got some play from other stations later on. Later on. So what did you guys all get for for winning a new music search contest back in eighty eighty nine? We got to play that showcase, right, Ken? We got the showcase, and um, we got an Atari N40, I think. Ah, see, this with, stuff I don't remember. <laughs> it was um, with maybe Notator, which was like the precursor to Logic, I think, which w- was pretty awesome. At the time, yeah. like, it, it, computers were expensive, and yeah, from Saved by Technology, I think. Which I just remember we were in Montreal, right? Driving down the highway to go do that gig is my memory. Am yeah, I right? Yeah, we had, yeah? yeah, yeah. We were in Montreal in, from ninety to ninety-one. So I think I think we entered in eighty-nine, and then the big showcase was in nineteen ninety. Yeah. yeah, in the fall, um, I think. Yeah, at the Copa, maybe the Copa. Would that yeah. have been? I think that sounds in, right. Yeah, not the Phoenix Day. It wasn't at the Phoenix. No, we did some other shows at the Phoenix later, okay. but. I was at the Copa in, in Yorkville. And there were lots of great bands on that bill. I think Wallace the Low were on that bill. And so at this point, it's just you two, or do you guys have hired players, or are you guys in a, you have a full band that's kind of everybody's a member? How does that? Our friend 
Rob King, Braz King, was involved definitely. And I'm just trying to think, Ken, we played with Steve Penny on drums. Would you have called them members at the time? I I think so. I I think think so. Yeah. 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 We didn't have any formal agreement. We were just a bunch of friends playing together. Yeah, because we started later on, we started to find that people maybe as people kind of left the band, we thought it might be just easier to hire players. So after probably about 92, there was kind of a rotating crew of people who played with us, but weren't necessarily in the band. And by that time Um, it was Ken and I were the Wild Strawberries and yeah, we would hire um, guys to to tour with us. And even that first album in the studio was Braz and yourself and me, right? Yes. Yeah. And the other guys played live. When you guys are playing these early gigs in the early 90s, I mean, do you guys, are you guys going to shows as fans as well? I mean, do you see like kind of a changing of the guard between the 80s kind of scene in Canada to a new kind of rock scene bubbling up? Definitely like Queen West, Spadina. Lots of, we, we would go see lots of shows at the Horseshoe and Rivoli and Ultrasound. And, and even and before the we started. Yeah, yeah. Can you were going um, to see Andrew Cash? Yeah, there's a, 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 a Now Magazine photo of Timbuk3 when they were touring. I think it was like 86 or 7. And I'm I'm at the front of the stage, pressed. I was a big <laughs> fan. Um, yeah, we go to lots of shows. And there was definitely a, a scene starting to bubble, for sure. And you guys were putting on material yourselves at this point. I mean, you had no yeah. label association. What was the kind of DIY efforts like? Was it was it easy? Was it hard? Our first release, our independent cassette at the time, um, we were just painting strawberries onto like cardstock and folding them and putting them in the tape cassette cases because like we didn't even have the money to print, you know, to do proper artwork. So we had all our friends and family painting. Like, so every... Every little cassette, if anyone ever found one, had a different cover, a different strawberry, whatever rendition of strawberry that particular artist wanted to do that particular day. <laughs> yeah, that and was we fun. Take the, that was fun. And the only way to sell them would be to take them to the local record stores. I think Record Peddler was the big one. Yeah. We had some at Sam's. Sam's and HMV. Yeah. Yeah, those were, those were the places. There was no internet to sell off of. Yeah, so it's all pretty local. And then selling from stage. Were you guys touring outside of Toronto in like the east part of Canada at this point? Or were you guys still just kind of staying around locally? I think oh, it was all pretty local at that point, yeah. Yeah, I think we'd go to Kingston and Ottawa. We started to sort of stretch out a little bit. I remember we yeah. had a, a, a gig in Grand Bend, Ontario, where That's right. the, the band, we would <laughs> set up a, sort of outside of the washroom, so people would have to kind of... <laughs> trip over our wires to get to, <laughs> to the washroom. Yeah, I remember that one. The, the Last Temptation in Kensington Market. Okay, so I remember those here. gigs. And we did try to busk a little bit at the beginning, but I don't have a really, really loud voice, so nobody could actually hear me on the street corners. That would at that last two, three attempts. And then yeah. I remember The Last Temptation. Yeah. Back of the bar, no stage. Yeah. And I remember um, being so incredibly nervous between songs. I, for a while, I tried reciting poetry in between songs because I just didn't know how to banter with the, with the crowd. Yeah, yeah I remember that. We played a show at Clint Clinton's. That was, the, I think, our first stage that it was actually like, a, 
maybe four inches above the floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the floor. And big time. There was this guy. <laughs> we hit the big time. <laughs> so there's this guy showed up with uh, like a white, completely a complete white suit and a white fedora, um, <laughs> and gave us a card. I thought he was pranking us. I thought it was like one of our friends had get, had sort of put someone up to it. He he was an A and R guy from Sony Music. Uh, and he was talking to me, but I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was really from record label. I thought he was just somebody dressed up. Yeah, I, I think that was the first time we talked to record company people, and we we sort of had a nice long sort of back and forth with him that didn't go anywhere. But Thank it God, was yeah. fun to, fun to talk with him. He was he was nice and a strap dresser as well. Yes, yes, yes exactly. <laughs> we have definitely met some characters. I'd love to hear some more stories, man. Keep them coming, man. That's, I don't know if it's going to be hard to top a white fedora and suit, but... Tell them about John Brower. Oh, man. As much as I remember, we, we would have met John Brower through Peter Moore. Peter had recorded the, the Trinity Sessions, were they called for Cowboy Junkies? Yeah, yeah. Um, and White's Offered Now. White's Offered Now. Yeah, and I, when we came back from Montreal, I worked as a physiotherapist. In, in Toronto in a long-term care facility. And one of my senior physiotherapists was Carolyn McCullough, married to Peter Moore at the time. And we were still living in our little apartment, Ken on Church Street. And then yeah. I think she just mentioned that they had a beautiful apartment in their in their house, Queen West. Well, at the time, it wasn't as hip as, as it is now. But we decided to move over there. We rented this apartment from Peter and Carolyn. Peter started working with us, recording now, I guess we've skipped an album, but we're up to that. You think I'm lonely at this point? Yeah. That's the one he was working on. And he introduced I, us to John Brower? Yeah, yeah. And John um, Brower had a history in the city of that huge show called Heat Wave at Varsity Stadium, I think it was. Big, big band. Did, some, did John Lennon play that? He, he had promoted another show. that He, he promoted the, the, the Railway show, I think, that... John and I had done the heatway was more like Elvis Costello and so on. Oh, I think it was okay. in it was out in a big park, like a big public park. What was the uh, show where he had to run away with the bags of money? That that's heatway. Um, okay. and the story was oh. that nobody got nobody got paid, nobody but got there were paid. like pictures of John uh and of bags of money getting loaded into a helicopter. Making <laughs> the escape. <laughs> so anyhow, when John Brower heard our music, he was like head over heels, really, really wanted to make something happen for us. But again, an interesting character, but nothing ever came of it. A photo shoot, I remember. Yeah. Where we were have we were doing a promo photo shoot and he came along and um didn't we do that was it a man ray set up yeah, with we, the violin on his back? Yeah, the cello. the oh yeah, exactly. cello? the cello. The cello woman. We we replicated that with you and also we we did it with John. John. Because, uh, everybody was telling us not to work with John because he had right. a bit of a history of, of uh, running away of, with money. Of running away with money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, we we never actually had that experience with him. He was he was very kind and he had a lot of big brains. Meet, meet people. Yeah. yeah. Jenny lost her job on Labor Day She looks so disconnected but she's really afraid My, my money's gonna fade away She says, oh, what a crying shame 
on the corner reading resumes He found them in the alley by the fire escape The letter in his pocket, it says anything Oh, what a crying shame Don't give me your hand, don't give me your hand As an alibi, you call me misery I call you civilized, no use in talking to me What a crying shame Martha watches legal shows on the television She says she's into justice but she's really afraid Sometimes it's a dollar for the man outside the mission She says, oh, what a crying shame Here I stand, memorizing zeros Do you guys uh, hook up with with A and M? Yeah, you were saying around this record, bet you think I'm lonely. You guys got a distribution deal? So Grace, Grace, we did totally alone, right, Ken? Just like yeah, yeah, we did. So we are working with Pierre Moore on the songs for Bet You Think I'm Lonely, but we released it as an EP first called Life Size because that's when Life Size Marilyn Monroe started to get radio play. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And Page so was... Productions, Stephen Page's dad. Yeah, because they were they they were starting to blossom with all their their uh, cassettes and stuff, and um, yep. he was getting things in the stores across Canada. So for yeah, Barenaked Ladies, so then he set up a distribution, and we joined that for that EP. I don't know how we got to. I think that's how we got Tony to Darris. Tony, yeah, yeah. I think that's how Tony Darris maybe heard us, or maybe Radio Play. And that's, so he formed right. an independent label called Strawberry Records, distributed through A and M in order to put that music out. But we put the full Bet You Think I'm Lonely out on A&M, right, Ken? That's right. That's yes. right. And that, that was with Toby. Yes. Um, and we only lasted one record with them. Yes. Because after that, we met the gang from Network and yes. ended up signing with them. How did, uh, how did you guys meet the gang from Network? 
we we got a a cup a gig opening up for Ginger with the grips of the guys who were in Grips of Wrath have gone on to phone Ginger and Sarah's whole her whole band had just come back from doing a European tour. They went to see their buddies in Ginger and we were the opening band. We were at Town Pump, maybe? Yeah, at the Town yeah. Pump yeah, okay. in Vancouver. They really dug us, especially their keyboard player and their drummer, uh, Dave Kershaw and Ash, Ashwin Sood were, um, became good friends pretty quickly. And Dave uh, asked if he, if we wanted some help working on our next record. So we had him do some production and mixing. And we did um, that at their place in Vancouver, right after yeah. the Fumbling tour. And so Sarah was right there and she, she said, man, I'd love to play on one of the songs. So she played guitar on I Don't Want to yeah. Think About It. And yeah. she and Dave, I guess Ash too, took, somebody took it to Terry McBride and said, you gotta, you got to work with this band. Oh, interesting. So, oh, she, you actually recorded the song before you went to, to network. It was all finished. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was all, yeah, we were working on it there. And they, Sherry came over and listened to it while we were there. Did you try to coax her into doing a duet and get that voice on the record as well? Or no? <laughs> I, don't think I, had the, I didn't have the balls for that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified. I mean, the whole thing was, yeah. They, um, Dave Kershaw was the first, I think that was the first time someone said, you know, you do have more of a vocal range, eh? Like, because I would only sing in my full voice and it's quite low. And I'd only ever sung like alto at school choir or whatever, tenor at church sometimes, so I could sit beside Ken. But <laughs> no one had ever said, you know, you do have a voice above G, above middle C, right? And so that was a big that was a big moment for me to realize that it would be quieter and softer, but I could actually go up into a higher register. But yeah, I was still super uh, overwhelmed by everything. Amazing, but all like, all just like, yeah, it was just all amazing experience being, you know, with Sarah McLaughlin in her house recording wild. Yeah. I could imagine you get to be insane. Yeah. So I didn't ask her to sing with me. No, <laughs> <laughs> she was a big help though. She was a big support. She was huge help. Yeah. Um, she didn't have to do any of that, but she was amazing, yeah.
yeah, and you guys continue that relationship all the way through the 90s with Little Affair and all of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So cool. They were, they were so generous. Yes. I was just going to say, do you remember first getting pitched about Lilith Fair? How did that conversation go? Or did she phone you up? Or how did you get... Well, we got to go see their sort of um, trial run. Hey, Ken, was that in Detroit? Yeah, in the Detroit. year before? They did like a scale, uh, like a smaller scale one with just, I think, four artists on it. With they were like, Amy Mann, Paul yeah. Cole. Yeah. So they were like floating a balloon out the, the, the year before just to see what people thought of the idea. And I think it went really well that night. And then they decided yeah. to take it on the road that next summer, which would have been 97, right? 97 was our first summer yeah. out with Lilith. And yeah. I think we did five or six shows. Yeah. One so. was Toronto, which was fantastic because home crowd. And um, we were B, B stage artists, but that day it was pouring rain so badly that Terry said we could go play on the main stage. <laughs> Um, so that was like fantastic, and I still run into people who who were at that show, and and I was pregnant with our first kid, and uh, yeah, it was just. Uh, uh, although I think we didn't really get a sound check, Ken, and you weren't even really plugged in, were you? Do you remember? Um, that? There was some trouble, tech uh, trouble that that time. A bit, yeah, I, I, I think it was all it, sort of but it was last a bit crazy. We, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think we got a line check. I don't even know if he had power at the beginning. I vaguely remember that, yes. Yeah, um, I remember it was pretty hectic, but we it was an amazing experience. I remember we played a show in Ottawa for Lil's there, and uh, we hadn't seen the gang for a long time. I think it was the first show of one of the... I don't know if it was that year, but we walked into the big stadium as that, and the, the, the ba- Sarah's band was rehearsing. They saw us walking in, and they started to play one of our songs. Yeah, that was <laughs> brilliant. Felt, felt pretty good. Because those guys had toured with us. I don't know at what point, Ken, was that before Lilith or after Lilith? During? That, wasn't, like, that would have been before. During the winter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we went, went on the road with, with her her uh, drums and bass and guitar, our, our friends, and it was so much fun. So something like Lilith Fair, the perception is that um, it's a very family environment, at least you know, from the outside. Yeah. I mean, what was it like behind the stage? I mean, are you guys hanging out? Do you guys just jamming? I mean, is it just everybody goes their separate ways before and after the gig? How's the? Lots of hanging out. I remember like around the food, like around the um, hosp- hospitality tent. Um, yeah. We we often all got on stage to sing at the end of Sarah's set at the end of each night, so that was really fun. There were some press conferences. I remember sitting beside Cheryl Crow at one of those. That was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we had been a uh, baby with us the next four years because I think it was, was it, or three years. Was it four years total? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So pregnant the first year and then we had a, a little baby with us the next time. Um, and everyone was amazing. Yeah. that was. I think we met a lot of people through having our daughter with us. Yes. That's um, true. I remember when that was, was fair. Yeah. That was fun. And we made a lifelong friend in, in Matt Brubeck, who was playing with Jewel Cello, uh, an amazing guy. And he was living in Berkeley at the time and now lives in Canada. And we see his, we see him lots, which is great. And we met him on Lilith Fair. You mentioned touring with, the, with a baby. How is the, how is that? I mean, you're, that doesn't happen to every band where. That was wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was wild. And um, so now we have four kids and 
like even today, uh, just bumping this a half an hour. Thank you for that. Like just, you know, it's, it's an amazing, joyous, but it's chaos. Some days it's just chaos. And the kids are all grown up now. Um, the youngest twins are 13, almost 14, but still like just, uh, you know, busy in a different kind of way because somebody wants to be over here and somebody wants to go over there and do this and it's just wild but yeah that first tour with our first little baby was quite an experience i had different relatives come for different gigs they can yeah we had sarah cooper come across for the west coast tour with uh, philosopher kings but yeah. yeah it was it had its moments for sure <laughs> Yeah, I was, uh, I was just wondering if you had some roadie or tar tech <laughs> babysitting. Well, yeah, yeah. We, well, uh, well, there was that one gig where there was, yeah. there was that one gig where that we didn't, we a, a family member couldn't be there for some reason, and so the the record company person, uh, yeah. we were doing an in store at an HMV, and London. she wasn't. Yeah, what was it, London? Yeah. yeah, she hadn't had a lot of experience with kids. <laughs> or none. Yeah, I came, back, none. I came back to the staff room at the HMV after we'd, we'd done like a little 20 minute set, right? And you sign autographs and you meet people, and it's really amazing. Go back there, and the baby is mm-hmm. screaming. She's just lying on a desk, like oh, no. covered in paperwork, right? Oh, like she's on the paper on the desk. And the person from the record company is just like holding this bottle, sort of, it's kind of dribbling out of her mouth because she's screaming. She doesn't want to be drinking the bottle. <laughs> Um, kind of like, yeah. kind of like pumping gas. Yeah. Of. <laughs> I'm sure she no, she signed up for that. No, that's true. That's interesting. You bring up HMV and uh, in stores. Um, that's something that I don't think is going to really happen again. Like '90s Aww. is kind of the last. That was the best. Yeah, just describe yeah. some of the stories about playing in stores and like preparing for them, like, like you know, stripping down, playing 20 minutes, and meeting your fans. Right. And how does uh, oh man, it's... talk a little about that if you can. I, I think, like, for me, the highlight and the clearest memory is, is literally just sitting at the pool after and talking to people and signing their discs. And, I mean, at, at anywhere we could, like, you know, especially summer festival shows and you get to hang out later and talk with people. Um, it, like, that's the highlight, getting to know people and, and, you know, sometimes finding out that the music has really touched them in some special way and made, it's been really important in their in their life. And it's just, it makes it, I don't know, just makes it um, so much more worthwhile. Being, you know, in a, in a male kind of dominated industry, being a front person, did you kind of feel, not pressure, but like to kind of be a role model for, for, for young ladies back in the 90s? Or I think now that I'm a mom of uh, young women, well, some of them are young women, the boys <laughs> are, but yeah, I do. I kind of wish I'd had a little more perspective on that at, at times, like, uh, Again, I I wouldn't trade what we did for anything. I had such a blast, but I really didn't I didn't intend to be uh, a singer in a pop band touring Canada. Like probably most young kids, I would grab the deodorant bottle and sing along with Whitney Houston into my mirror. But I I didn't really have any um, goals of becoming a a singer. I just sort of fell into it and I loved it. But I was pretty nervous and it took me a long time to sort of come into myself and be confident about being in the photos and in the videos and on stage so I spent I spent a lot of time on my look my you know I went through different periods of vintage clothing and crazy like ski suits and I just did all this wacky stuff and I think looking back on it partly it was that was how I coped with my just sort of nerves my 
Um, and once I got on stage and got singing, I was fine, but that was how I got ready to go on stage was doing my hair, doing my makeup. And so I don't know, now that I am past all that <laughs> and I don't really care about that stuff as much, I, I hope I wasn't a negative influence for anyone thinking that they have to do all those things and look like, you know, a certain way in their body. I don't know. I'm just much more into body acceptance and, um, sort of deeper things that are more important than the physical so, I'm a lot older now too. So I don't Aren't know if that all, was yeah. even answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hope we were a positive influence, if 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 any at all. Like how much attention did you pay to the video treatment, the way the video came out, the way the album cover came out? I mean, how much influence did you guys want to control over your the way your band was presented? Yeah, I think that's for you, Ken, because now um, Ken's still doing like amazing cover art for the singles we continue to release. Um, I think that's more for you, Ken. It's, well, it's mostly been out of necessity. If, if there's somebody <laughs> who's really good at art or video, you know, art cover art or video, we, we were very happy for them to take that on. Um, if we trusted their vision, yeah. I think, I think we, we these days just, um, yeah, the the things that get done by us in house are usually just because it's more economical to do it that way. We did. I mean, we worked with some great people visually along the way. Like Lisa Mann did a bunch of our videos, and she was awesome. And if we could afford her now, we would probably do more <laughs> sure. videos with her. But at this point, we sort of have to kind of think, work back from you know what the what the music will end up uh, generating in terms of income, and then working from there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean to me, our my our sort of favorite record covers are. The, the network ones. Yes, definitely. The network people were amazing. Yeah. But, you know, I like the ones we've done since as well. There's sort of a playfulness to them. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that when you're talking about imaging things, very just the, yeah. um, I, my memory of all that time was really just the, you were you were curious and mischievous about the things yeah. that you would find it, you know, and try to make use of stuff you'd find at thrift shops. And, yeah. I always would, I would try to go whenever we were in a town, the guys would start loading gear and setting up. And I didn't have a lot to do until, until tech was all, all set. So I would try to get to a thrift store, a secondhand store if I could and find, um, find some treasures, which is how the vacuum ended up on heroin. We did the album cover first. Is that right? Yeah. Ken? yeah. I think so. Yeah. That well. was, was that Hills vacuum? And then I went I, and found my I own so, for, yeah. for touring. <clears throat> yeah. Help yeah, a card. That was all his styling. Great photographer, Hilt Apart in Toronto. So he had styled that sort of, I don't know, was that 50s kind of vibe for that album. And then we did take that idea with Lisa Mann and we attempted a video in Costa Rica. And I brought the vacuum down and, you know, vacuumed the whole uh, place, like the beach and the forest. and, And it was really hard work. But unfortunately, Network didn't love that one. So that one never got released. But it was a lot of fun and a lot of work dragging a vacuum across the beach. Yeah, not easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I, I did eventually come to love trying to, you know, yeah, put across some, uh, some fun sort of image to the crowd through my, my clothes, my style. And uh, how big of a deal was like getting a, a video played to much music or something like that back then for you? Did you Ooh. see like an impact? Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the first one that really got a lot of play for us was I don't want to think about it. 
we had some, a bit of play on the on the previous ones, but that one was yeah. that one just that, really changed everything for us in terms of those size yeah. of gigs we did. And, and it's all records, right? Yeah, records yeah. back then. Yeah, for sure. And Sarah's in that one, hey? So that was another oh, amazing experience um, shooting that with the guys and Sarah that day. That was really fun. Yeah. For some reason, I just had a, a, a message through the Facebook page a while ago, and someone asked if I'd ever had nail art done, and I didn't really know where the question came from or what that was about, but I just referenced that video. That's the only time I think I've ever really had my nails oh, yeah, done all crazy. I have yeah. super long nails, so I couldn't even <laughs> pull my tight outfit off <laughs> to go to the bathroom. I had to have someone right. help me all day. It's crazy. You, you mentioned that song, I Don't Want to Think About It, and another interesting thing that happens with that song and ends up with a soundtrack to an Angelina Jolie movie. Oh, amazing. That was network. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think there's three or four bands on that soundtrack that are Canadian. I think Mr. Machine is on that yeah. record. Rose yeah. Chronicle, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it was with some of their, I think L7 was on there. Luscious Jackson. It felt, it felt like a really nice thing to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Machine. Those, those, we knew those guys. They were cool. What was your like working with Network? You mentioned Network a few times now. I mean, what was that relationship? You guys did two records, I think, with them? Yeah. Did the relationship stay the same between those two records? Did it change at all through the thing? Or? It was kind of a shifting time in the music world. The boy bands were coming in, and I think there was a little uncertainty as to you know what kind of record would kind of find its place in, in that time so I, I, the second record was a little bit a little bit more work to convince people <laughs> about so we we had a couple a bit of, re, of a departure re, right redrafts and yeah yeah i think we were going a little left and they were going right and heroin um, had had been a gold record for us our, our first and our only gold record and i guess yeah when we we came up with quiver by the end we we were pretty determined that that's what we wanted to release not sure if they were as convinced. Darker Records, still my, I think my favorite, if I had to pick one album, that is my favorite, even though um, it wasn't necessarily what Network was looking for. I was going to say, yeah, most of what I speak to when they ask, because when they talk about which were their favorite records, it seems clever with it for people. Most people I've talked with. Which is always kind of frustrating for us because we keep making records. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to play more recent ones. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we 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 did try to keep touring once Kid Number 2 was born, and it was getting a lot harder. So for a while, Ken stayed home with the girls, and we hired an extra um, guitar player mostly to cover his lines, his parts. But it just wasn't the same, me being out on the road without him my partner in music and life, it, it just didn't work out. And so we were just getting back. We made this really cool video with, um, Oh yes. Um, we made this amazing video for our um, deformative years CD, which again, we're totally independent by this time. We're doing oh, it all by ourselves. No way to break my heart. I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No way to break my heart. I was thinking of the video officer though. The, oh, the Peter Horvath. Thank you. Peter Horvath we made this really cool video. I don't even know. Do we have that on ours? With all of our other videos, well, it was, the problem it was a web video. Web it, video, yeah. It had all these pop-ups. It, there's yes. no like final copy. Yes, you're right. Which was good and bad. Yeah, it, it was, was really, really cool. great. On the, it was on the edge of the screen. Time. Yeah. Yeah, 
We got on BBC National because of that technique. They they just mentioned it. Do you remember that when it was released? Yeah. 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 Anyhow, we're getting set to tour again. We've got a press junket set up. And then I found out I was pregnant with twins. And the reason I found out was because I felt so awful. I was so, so, so sick, Um, more so than the other two pregnancies. So we had to call it at that point. We had to cancel that tour for the formative years. And then, yeah, since the boys were born, we've continued to, like, we've never, ever stopped writing and recording music. We just haven't toured much. There's this whole thing with the EDM, with uh, this DJ from Germany called ATB. And so there's been, we've sung a little bit with him, played a little bit live with him, but as Wild Strawberries, we haven't toured. How did the EDM thing came out? I mean, there's like 10 million hits on all that jazz. I mean, yeah. just break that down. I mean, yeah. Don't just rush over that. That's pretty important. It was the biggest, uh, the biggest moneymaker <laughs> song for us ever. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell it, that story? It, yeah, well, it came about Roberta got asked to sing at a wedding um, for a guy from Warner, uh, and we were—I think we're at the point where we—we we, I remember we debated. Oh man, <laughs> um, are we that desperate? <laughs> and then, and then we said, well, okay, maybe he was really nice and he'd been really good to us. Um, so she went and sang at the wedding, and um, there was a Warner flamenco guitar player there. In Robert Michaels, um, and so the guy whose wedding he was had had said, "Yeah, you guys should do some work together." Um, so he he wrote uh, a song with us called "Long to Let You Go," and they I guess Warner had the money to go out and kind of get remixes from different DJs, uh, and they sent it, it to this DJ in Europe who he he just had a, a big uh, number one song in England called 9 p.m. till I come. Uh, and so he, he heard it and said, uh, you know, I don't want to do a remix. I want to put it on my record. Um, so he ended up putting on his record. Uh, and it wasn't the first single. He had a couple other singles before Heather that. Nova, like Heather right? Nova. And he had a, um, yeah. And, and none of them did all that well. So there were kind of three singles in. They decided to release Let You Go. And it, it did really well for him and sort of re- revived his, sort of chart position in Germany and um, we were number they, seven in Germany not on the dance chart but on the main the like, pop chart. chart that's awesome so at the um, highest that was our highest chart position so we got ever. a call um the week before our second daughter was due to be born we got a call from them saying you have to come over right away we're on the we're going to be on top of the pop because it was um, top 10 we need we need you to come over, and we hadn't heard from them in months. So like we'd heard that they were thinking of releasing it, but we didn't hear it was doing that well. And so we couldn't because Roberta couldn't fly. So the the next uh, question was, well, do you have a sister? Because top of the pop is, is um, it's all it's all, all lip sync. Lip sync. So nobody's actually playing live. Um, they wanted to see some doppelganger yeah. who looks like Roberta. Yeah, doppelganger. Yeah. So we, uh, none of her sisters wanted to do it. So um, we said, uh, P- Pamela, who, <laughs> Pamela was the person who'd been doing all of Roberta's hair and makeup uh, for all the previous videos. So she knew the look. She could she could recreate the look quite well. It's similar size to Roberta. And she um, knew. She studied. She studied all of our old videos, from, right like through my moves. Yeah. Yep. And but she was amazing. Oh, 
but it's self-admittedly tone deaf. <laughs> so she had this, she had this great experience where she was singing on top of the pops. That's the closest you're going to get to somebody playing you in a movie. Maybe that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. yeah, it's, it's incredible footage. Oh, and, and, and Pamela, or me, my doppelganger was introduced mm. by one of the Spice Girls as Roberta Carter Harrison, country <laughs> country singer from Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it Ginger? It was Ginger Spice. It was Ginger Spice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that was pretty fun. Um, but then, yeah, we went back to Top of the Pops because we had several singles with ATV over the years um, and got to go to you know perform with him in, in Europe and also in the States quite a bit. But um the next time I was on top of the pops I was in the makeup chair, you know, getting ready for the for the performance and the makeup artist said, you know, have you changed something's changed about your about your look since last time you were here. I was like, oh well I had a baby. Sometimes that really you know really changes, yeah.
you mentioned a bit about touring in the states with with this stuff. Did you try to do that with like in the in the in the late nineties with Wild Strawberries? Buffalo. <laughs> we yeah, love Buffalo. Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, Buffalo, Detroit, and then yeah, yeah, Buffalo and Detroit. Yeah, it's Toledo, Border Town. Yeah. Border Town. yeah, and then some of the lowest fair dates were in the states, but no, I mean. Through all of this, Ken and I were both like Ken. Ken was still uh, working. I was still working. And then, yes, not that we didn't want to pursue this full time, but um, I don't know if we had some foresight to to where the music industry was going. We weren't uh, willing to give up our our jobs totally. So we weren't out on the road day in and day out for weeks on end. We would take two or three weeks off work and go do an amazing tour across Canada and then go back and work for a while. I mean, a lot of we were with Network, definitely. Those two records were so great. But a lot of these years, it's been independent. It's been us um, making it happen. I mean, it's changed in, in, a, in a thousand different ways or more. I mean, has it changed for the better, do you think? I mean, you, you were DIY to begin with, and now you're DIY again. I feel like when, when we first started, we were very sort of tuned into talking to our fans. and They had little newsletters that we would mail out. Snail mail. Uh, yeah, and then... I think it's just a time and energy thing that just now that it's so much easier to communicate with your fans. It just seems that much harder. I mean, Roberta's really good at, at sort of manning a Facebook page and stuff. But. I try. It's not It's not really my, my deal, but I do try. I also feel like, you know, back when we were getting everybody's addresses and mailing these newsletters and staying in touch with people, we just sort of, if we had had internet then, like I think some of that would have been maybe easier and more longer lasting. I don't know. We were just sort of at a weird time in history because when we were out touring and, and really going after this, we were all over keeping, keeping in touch with the fans. And now that, uh, now that it's easy to connect with people, we don't necessarily, I don't even know if a lot of our diehard fans necessarily know we're still making music all the time and putting it out there. Like right now we're putting a new song out every month. <laughs> I love the artwork there with the, the make me gag bit there. I made me laugh literally out loud <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah. I, was <laughs> <laughs> I got scared. Got a new single coming out in a couple of weeks called North. There's um, just so much material from the US of A right now. So much <laughs> to write about. It's about time and double down fates Excellent birds with commemorative plates Zippity, 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 oh Nobody's fine as long as this grows Meet you by the penitent gate Everything goes as long as it takes Falling into this again Like I told you so Presidents, man, are riddled with facts. Take 
taking it slow before they get sad. Falling into this again, like I told you so. Tell me there's no time to mend. Whistling as we go. So as we've been talking um, today, is there anything else that maybe kind of popped in the back of your mind about the 90s and, you know, any kind of story, touring story or making a video story or making a record story? Or <laughs> I think for me, just all the great people we've got to play with. We just, we, I think because because we didn't necessarily always have a, a, a band, when we have people we played with a lot, we, we, we would always be scrambling to get people to play with. We'd end up with playing with pretty awesome people yeah. you know we played with um joe jackson's bass player was that was great and we just had um one of david bowie's guitar players play on one of a couple of our songs this year just we, we've been feel really fortunate uh the people we've met people we've played on our records so i've been asking um, everybody i talked to to pick three songs for our official spotify playlist so the, the choices are two kind of well-known "Quote unquote hits from you guys from the '90s, and one kind of deep cut that you might think cool. deserves a little bit more attention. So I'd say for sure, I don't want to think about it. Yeah, uh, trampoline. That is trampoline. Yeah, yeah. I always thought you could be so cold didn't get the attention it could have. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. Or blunt. Or blunt. Maybe blunt, I don't know. Blunt is good. That's that's sort of socially. Uh, uh, appropriate now, now that pot is legal. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to think about yeah. it. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Trampoline and blunt. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to chat with me. It's been awesome. Great to thank see you. you, Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us today on Raven's Rule. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can do so in a variety of ways. First, you can go to patreon.com slash become a patron, get access to deleted audio, get advanced notes of the guests, and get a chance to submit questions to those guests for an exclusive Patreon Q&A. Visit redbubble.com, search Rave Drool, and you can buy various goods with the Raven Drool podcast logo on it. Follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. And if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more Naughty's Can Rock content, please find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And lastly, if you're looking for music, we have an official playlist on Apple and Spotify. Currently, it's curated by myself with tracks that I've selected, but as you heard during today's episode, eventually, it'll be curated by the guests themselves. Until next time, friends, take care. Talk and come.